Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, this is Maggie, and this week we have our very special guest, Lola. Hello! Some of you might remember her from our Jaws episode, so she is back to talk about the first of our Christmas special movies, Die Hard. So the reason we're kind of doing this is because we decided that the theme for this year was going to be a Kellett family Christmas. So we decided to do the two movies that my family watches every year for Christmas, and that is It's a Wonderful Life and Die Hard. How long have you guys been having this as your tradition? Like, how old do you think you were? I was probably like nine when we added Die Hard, yeah. Well, this movie is from 1988. I don't know why I'm going into background, but I have nothing about background. (laughs) Okay, well. But Maggie does. (laughs) As Ian said, it's from 1988. It's an action thriller that follows um, police officer John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, as he fights what seem at first to be terrorists, but turn out to just be thieves, um, trying to steal money from a corporation, and he's basically fighting them through the building, and it's it's like, like the quintessential 80s action film. It kind of set the template for the lone hero versus like in a contained environment versus this like larger organization. No, I thought they were terrorists the whole time. Are they not? No, no, no. no. That was a I mean, that I know was a diversion. A, I know he had it's a line. Oh. Basically. Yeah. I was about three mold wines deep, <laughs> I'm guessing, at that point. So I did not catch that. I just thought they were terrorists because yeah. they were Germans the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's based on a 1979 novel called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Um, the part was actually originally offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he declined it to film, I think it was like a sequel to his movie Commando or something like that. But basically they offered it to a lot of people who were known action heroes at the time. Obviously action movies, very popular in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just couldn't really lock anyone down. So they kind of ended up in the end, offering it to Bruce Willis, who was at the time known as like a television, like comedic actor for his leading role in Moonlighting. Um, so this really gave him like his big break as an action hero. And I think like, I don't know, I think he kills it. I love him in this role. I mean, we're, I was saying like, he's, this is the only good movie I've ever seen him in where I'm like, wow, that was a solid acting. Like he did really good. You gotta watch some, some more. I know. And Bruce Willis movies. I love Bruce Willis. Like, yeah. And some of the recent ones like Red. He, I, I enjoyed it, well, they, they kind that. of cash in on that like action hero stereotype, which I think, you know, we'll get into it more when we start talking about like our actual watch notes and stuff. But I think there is a certain action hero stereotype that he, while he did help set that, his character also kind of deviates from that a little bit. Um, as far as casting goes, this was also Alan Rickman's first feature film role. Again, Absolutely kills it. I didn't recognize him at Lola first. Lola is shocked. Oh, you knew. There were some moments where I was like, this is Snape. This is where he got his inspiration. Like, there's like one part where he's walking very dramatically down a hallway with like a group <laughs> of people behind him. And I was like, oh my God, Alan Rickman's so hot right now. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's that blows brilliant my in this. Yeah. Um, and the way they play off each other is really good. It was actually nominated for four Academy Awards. Um, best sound effects editing, best film editing, best sound and best visual effects. There are four sequels, Die Hard 2 in 1990, Die Hard with a Vengeance in 1995, Live Free or Die Hard in 2007, and A Good Day to Die Hard in 2013. Jeez, they waited a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, I would actually, I actually really enjoyed Live Free, Die Hard. I actually liked that one quite a bit. Live Free, Die Hard. 
I actually liked it. Uh, the undershirt that Bruce Willis wears for the majority of the movie is actually in the <laughs> National Museum of American History. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this was number 39 on the American Film Institute's Top 100 Thrills list. And Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman's character, was number 46 on their Heroes and Villains list. He was a good villain. He's I a great say. villain. He's I saw his motivation favorites. and I liked it. I, the way he plays it, too, is he's wait, so sinister, wait. but also really charming. You saw his motivation, but you thought he was a terrorist? I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, so I think what really Sorry, threw I'm me for a loop is when he called, when he had that, like, negotiation, he was like, I want these people released. So I was like, oh, yeah, Toad's terrorists. Well, they, he's doing that because he wants the FBI to, they talk about the terrorist handbook. Basically, he wants the FBI to cut the power so they can get that last electromagnetic lockdown to mm-hmm. steal all of the bonds, which I actually... I was reading that they originally were going to be terrorists or maybe they're terrorists in the book or something like that. But then they changed them to thieves to be like a little let, like a little bit more of a family friendly film or something. Like they, okay. they basically were like terrorism is like, I guess, too hot of an issue or something. I mean, yeah, in the there 80s. Were, yeah, there were a lot of attacks in the 80s and stuff. Mm-hmm. But so they made them thieves instead. But I actually really like that flip that it's like they're acting like terrorists. They're letting people think they're terrorists. They're dealing with the government as if they're terrorists because they actually just want to steal something and they're using like that like protocol against everything. Like I think that adds nuance to Gruber as a villain. It makes him like this very intelligent villain. And I think it's kind of adds some like fun little, not quite plot twists, but like plot turns, I guess. Yeah. I like it whenever a villain is intelligent. I hate when it's like them bumbling around and that's how they get caught. I like when they get caught because the hero is intelligent as well. Or like the hero is intelligent or just competent in a different way. Yeah. He's less smart, Maggie. He's less smart. smart. (laughs) But but he's got a different skill set and kind of seeing those two things like battle each other. I really like. Yeah. Well, it's it's not that he's less smart. It's that he's street smart. Smart in a different way. Mm. Because he's a New York Except, okay, I will say, yes, he's street smart, but also did I, we could talk about this more, but like there were some things that he did where I'm like, did you really mean to do that? Yeah, well, but this is what I like too about that character is that he's fallible. He's not always right all the time. Like there's some stuff he does purely as like an emotional reaction that's like stupid shit, like... But I love, like, packing all those detonators into that C4 and pushing it down an elevator <laughs> shaft because he's pissed off. Blowback. Blowback. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, but, like, he's pi- he's pissed off because is that, like, I think that's after, no, that's before Hans kills Ellis. But, it, like, Hans has done something. I think he fired on the, the SWAT team that was coming yeah. in. And it, like, pisses him off. And so he has this just emotional reaction and does something that he's, like, the minute he does it, he's, like, fuck. Yeah. And can we just say A plus to the engineer that built that tower? Because between the C4 <laughs> and I know, that sucker's not coming down. Like, I that tower like, is still there. Yeah. I feel like this, awesome uh, job. this movie is a, like, uh, uh, jet fuel can't melt still beams kind of thing where they're like, look, it obviously, if a, this tower can withstand all these blasts, then like, I don't know, twin towers, I'm just saying. Are you saying it's fodder for conspiracy Yes, well, for them crazy people on this Reddit. This beautiful documentary well, called thing. Die Hard. It's still... <laughs> Absolutely a documentary. Um, Like it still has that ridiculous aspect of '80s action movies, but it has it doesn't quite jump the shark in a way Mm. that I think a lot of late '80s action movies do. Which don't get me wrong, I have a great love for those movies. I love a ridiculous (laughs) '80s action movie, but I think this one—I don't know—it stays more grounded than I think you expect in a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Alrighty, well, are we good moving into <laughs> the actual movie? Yeah, well, we've talked <laughs> about it, but notes. do we want to start? Yeah, do we want to start like going through like a little bit more chronologically? Yeah, because it sounds like we might get ahead of ourselves if we keep going down this path. I, I, I don't think I'm because um, I want to talk think about toes and nine eleven. So okay, well, <laughs> I mean, first thing he brought a gun on a plane again. This is the 80s. Pre-9-11. Pre-9-11. I know, but still, it was just like, oh, shit. But at the same time, I mean, even before 9-11, before everything else, didn't you have to, like, I don't know, tell people you had a gun? Well, I was going to say, I don't I don't know what the policy would have been for police officers or anything. Well, like, I don't know if he could have been, like, I'm actually a police officer. Hijackings know. were prevalent in this era as well. So, like... By terrorists, actually. I'm kind of not surprised. Well, I was surprised, not surprised. It was more like, here's this wonderful time capsule of one, a 747, which really doesn't fly anymore <laughs> in the US. And then two, these gigantic seats that looked so comfy. I know. Well, I actually really like this opening too, because it sets up some, I think, very important stuff. Like it sets up his character a little bit, um, you know, with the whole sequence with the plane and then going through the airport and like being uncomfortable in the limo. It kind of, we're showing the like, He's out of his element. Like, Mm -hmm. he's not, like, one of the group of people at the party, all that kind of thing. But we also introduce our hero by something he's afraid of or nervous about, which Mm -hmm. I think is interesting, that he's nervous about flying. I wish they would have fleshed that out a little bit. I feel like the heights thing was kind of tied in a little bit in a couple scenes, like, with the uh, fire hose when he's having to go off the edge. I don't know if that's necessarily a fear of heights, but I feel like... I don't know. Personally, if I was strapped to a building with a fire hose and about to jump off, like I too would be scared. And I don't really have like a crippling fear of heights or anything. But he's supposed yeah, but to be point, in <laughs> like yeah. the no, big action. But, I don't but know. he's not invincible. Like that's the thing. This okay. is why this is why I really like this movie, and I think it's not just a good action film, but a good movie, is because you have a character that isn't invincible. Like your yeah, hero isn't point, invincible. He had already like jumped down the elevator chute. When he like ties himself to the host, that I doesn't feel- mean he's not still scared about that. I mean, yeah, like, but it's like the first like when you go to an amusement park and like the first roller coaster you ride, you're like all like nervous that's about. Also a but roller- by the end, you're that's, like that's what also is? a roller coaster, not like jumping off buildings. I mean, yeah, but you're I'm just theoretically saying- strapped into the roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know if you're actually strapped in. <laughs> but, um, Big ears crossed. <laughs> but like then we also introduce the fact because the guy's telling him, like, oh, you know, what always helps me when I like am done with flying is like you go, you take off your shoes and you like kind of curl your toes against the carpet and it like makes you feel grounded. But that's so important because it gives us a reason why he has no shoes later, which I think becomes really important and also leads to some really nice character moments and mm-hmm. a scene that I literally cannot watch and have to close my eyes for every single You can't time watch him dig his toes into the carpet? No, I later, can't. later. Oh, there's the a glass scene. scene. Yeah, the glass. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh. No, the the toast thing is gross though. Just imagining, well, like, think about that. She can watch about... the glass stuff, but she can't watch. <laughs> oh the yeah, totally. Toast. But just imagine, like, you're getting off the plane, you're busy, and you look over, and there's some dude sitting on a chair, just rubbing his little toesies. And he doesn't do it at the airport. He's, but I'm saying he's like, got to avoid deep vein thrombosis, Lola. He's gonna die. <laughs> but I'm saying the guy didn't say like, when I get home, I rub my toes on the carpet. He oh, was like, after too- I get off the airplane in the airport, I rub my toes on the carpet. So I really thought that's what he was gonna do. And I was You're not like, no. okay with this. I was like, why? No, he kindly waits until he's at a very nice private bathroom in an office building. From which one of the sc- also, sleaziest. I know, I would actually be less concerned about the airport carpet than Ellis's office carpet. No, you know he pays a shit ton of money to have that thing cleaned, like weekly. (laughs) Oh, that was in his office. It was his, yeah. yeah. So, 
part of this characterization too that I I'm really torn on because his like wandering eye looking at all of the attractive women around him like it's because it feels... this is an 80s movie and we show him having emotions later so we have to still establish that he is a manly man Ian okay that's true that I mean if that's the function that that served it's fine. an 80s movie if there aren't boobs somewhere it's not and an there 80s were movie. thanks Alice. also boobs were used <laughs> as a distraction multiple times and I feel like that's one of the most 80s things yeah. I've ever seen in my yeah. entire life that's fair that's fair but yeah. it was more like uh, I mean, this I is like know. any other movie we talk about, right? Like even the ones from the 30s and 40s, there can be things that you're like, oh, that's so interesting or like this is so progressive, but there are still going to be things that you're like, that is very of that era. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that it is, well, it just felt like it was done and dropped and there was no, like that could have played into his relationship with his wife. Yeah. Like, yeah. They don't, they don't way. really and I have that be the problem. But I actually kind of, I like the tension around their marriage of it being that like, she had a great career opportunity and she decided to take it and he was an ass about it and like kind of that back and forth. Like, I think, I don't know. I think that's, well, one, it's probably societally pretty relevant for the eighties because you have uh-huh. a lot of women joining the workforce, but like working girl. All I can think of is the Harka Vagrant comic about the eighties businesswoman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I, like, I don't know. I liked like, that tension in their relationship. And I like that, like when they have the fight in her office later, she leaves and he's like, I fucked it up. Like I, yeah, I like that there that is like nice. a self-awareness, but also an inability to help himself. Like, I don't know. I think both of them are really good as characters. I like that their relationship is like nuanced and I like the tension there. I love the eighties because if that storyline was around now of her like being successful, it would have been approached in a completely different way. But for some reason, would it though, it depends sure on who the director is I'm, and who I'm the main honest, audience is. But. I'm honestly not sure it would have been in, for like a big summer blockbuster. I'm not sure it would Oh, be. no. Yeah, but for a Valentine's Day movie or something that women, you know, will go see that movie. Yeah, it's going to be like, oh, he's such a dick that he won't support her and move across the country. But in this movie, I was like, man, she's such a bitch. And then I'm like, Wait. what? I love Holly. No, but when, when I'm like, why would you move away with your kids from your husband? They don't have a father. And I was like, wait, I don't have these beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> the movie like made me be like, God, what a bitch. Like she chose this like this Ellis guy over Oh, him. She, no, she didn't. Well, she didn't, but... Thank God, because Ellis, when I When it first begins, okay. you're like, oh, man, she's going to sleep with Ellis. Like, oh, really? I from, never from thought that From a first-time viewer, I was like, oh, man, she's going to be with Ellis. Really? Yeah, the, I never thought no, that that was... Yes, you're on a date on Christmas. Right. I know, and she says no. Well, but... Yeah, but it's, it's the 80s. 80s. <laughs> if, if he's persistent. Yeah. No, well, she says later, she's gunning for his job. Uh, oh yeah because he says that that he makes dimension. a remark about ellis because he kind of does the whole like he's like he's got his eye on you and she goes and i have my eye on his private bathroom being like i want his job love it yeah love it so i actually really like holly no i like like as the movie went on i liked yeah. her more and more but at the time i was like this bitch also, can, can we talk about the technology though of the directory in the building when he's like looking that at the directory. That was some space age shit right there. I know it would it would have been like very I think high a tech at the time, screen? but it was so yeah. a computerized system that can oh. lock all of the doors and windows and shut down elevators and everything from one central location. What? But I, I mean, and this is we're going to talk about this a lot. Why? Why did you need all that? I mean, yes, because, because you had a billion dollars of bonds. Use a bank. Use uh, yeah. a bank. Well, I I. 
have to say that there is a lot of, I think, a little bit of, like, anti-institutional. Well, one, it only works for the plot if you have it in the building. But there's, like, some, like, anti-institution <laughs> stuff in there, too. Like, you have, like, the chief, the deputy chief of police and being, like, completely incompetent. It's the idea of, like, the, like, blue-collar cop is the one who's right and all that stuff. So I feel like, I don't know, not having it be in a bank also kind of fits into that. But yeah, but it would be much less creepy. exciting. And I didn't think it was creepy. If it was in a How bank. did it know where she was? Does everyone get no, like No, no, no. It's a direct... I think her office it was, was on just the 30th a, floor. Oh. Yeah, it's just a directory. But what if her... I mean, if her office had been on the 30th floor, the entire movie would have been completely different. Well, but she was just that important, Lola. You're That's just going to have to accept it. I will say the, the, <laughs> the part of the building that really was the high-tech technology was a waterfall on the 30th floor. That was impressive I did. Okay, me. I actually really liked the sets in this. Like, one, well the lobby was the most 80s thing I've ever seen <laughs> with that kind of dark reddish granite mm-hmm. in the elevator banks. <laughs> Loved it. But also, did they not have enough security? Like, why did they have one stupid little security guard when they have literally a billion dollars worth of stuff in a safe on the top floor? I mean, I don't know. People do stupid shit all the time. Like, there are, of course, like, you have to have certain people mess certain stuff up in kind of the diehard universe in order for, like, all of the events to take place, obviously. But, like... I think there was two because they had the one guy at the front and then they ended up killing a guy with a hockey puck, right? Or is that the same guy? I think those were two separate guys. Yeah. So, I mean, they had, they had two security Okay, so they guards. had 100% more security than I initially <laughs> let on. <laughs> but, no, I, did, I felt that was weird. I did like the scene when they began storming the tower, yeah. though. Because the really rapid succession between all of the different goons in the different parts of the building doing all their different stuff... I thought it was awesome. I was confused by the phone line cutting scene though, because you have this one guy being like really precise with some like little alligator clips. Oh yeah, type. and then Carl comes in with the chainsaw, and then the guy's like freaking out to get something done before Carl yeah. finishes. What are you I not on the know. same page, Gudens? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know, but I think that set up Carl as like a dude that just wanted to murder and kill and do things his way. Very emotionally driven, not going to like be yeah. patient kind of thing. Yeah, I can I, see I that. I can take that. I mean, I wouldn't take it that way. Like at the time, I was right. like, oh, that's stupid. But I mean, yeah. I guess in reflection, which is <laughs> what the director It chose. doesn't seem out of keeping with Carl's character. Yeah. We'll give it that. I also, let's see. Okay, my next notes are around Takagi's death. I don't know if. Um, you guys have anything else? My next note words? is this song is about as Christmas as this movie. It was oh, the know? rap song. Oh, the rap song. <laughs> it was, but that was before they even got to the tower. Yeah. Oh, I know. We skipped a bunch of Argyle. Argyle. Stuff. Oh, we, Argyle. We he was so useless later. that he was so not useless. So I appreciated that they at least gave us like the proverbial Argyle. Well, I like that Argyle like sits there and like calls John out on some of his shit on the way to the thing where he basically John's like, "Yeah, I didn't come with her because like." I have to put away the perps in New York. And he's like, basically, you didn't think she'd cut it, and she did. And oh. now you're coming crawling back. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Argyle is every single Uber driver I've ever had when it's 5 a.m. or I'm hungover. And you're just like, why <laughs> are you talking? Yeah. Like, it's just every... I was like, oh, good. This at least still happened in the 80s. That's good to know that this isn't, like, a new problem. That well, he was a cab driver, remember. So, like, yeah. that's, yeah. His, that's his bread and butter. Um, but talking, okay, so going back into the tower and kind of before Takagi's death, yeah, like talking about the set and the introduction to kind of, I, I'm torn because I think that I liked the way that they introduced the top like four floors of the building that all, basically all of the action took place on mm-hmm. with Bruce Willis 
like climbing up the stairs and being like, oh, this floor is under, under construction. Oh, this floor is an yeah. executive floor. Oh, this floor is this. Like, but that also felt, I don't know, like it was good because he was running away. So it fit with the plot, but I didn't find it particularly inventive. Well, I think, I think what he was doing was he was just trying to like, because every time he opens the door, he sees some of the, oh, the what yeah, we so think are terrorists okay. at the moment. So I think it's just him trying to like, get to a place where he can stop and like figure out what's going on and think. Yeah. Um, I think it adds to him. And I think that him navigating the tower is just, it sets it up for later when he's just like walking or like when he's running around and you're like, man, how does he know that one drop is another floor? And that's a good floor. I feel like that's why they set that whole scene mm-hmm. up of him. Like yeah. discovering when it gives us a little bit of orientation too. So we like, at least have like a vague idea of like where stuff is going to be taking place later. I think. Yeah. I love too, that there was just one floor at the very top of this tower that was under construction. Just one. I think there was <laughs> one too. I thought it was only the one floor. Cause the four floors that I remember are 30, which is the like executive offices, mm-hmm. the waterfall with the waterfall. Yeah. Yep. And then you have 31 that I believe was the like fancy where you had all the models. 32 was under construction and like 33 was a computer, was that the computer? something or Maybe other. Maybe I'm thinking of the computer room. I guess it wasn't technically under construction. But don't, just, don't hold my order. The computer room is the me, same but... room that his like office is in, I thought. No, the computer room was where they had the... the it's where all the glass Glass happens. scene. Yeah. Oh. So yeah. with all the glass. So I guess like in my mind, that one was also still under construction. But like, I, I don't know if it really matters whether it was or not. But like, I, I agree. I like that where it kind of sets us up. Like, these are the four floors we're going to be playing with. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was cool. And I did I did actually really like some of the scenes that took place on the in construction floor. Like where the one goon went after Bruce Willis and he like turns on a saw and runs around and you expect yeah. him to be behind like the pallet of drywall. I really, I really enjoy the fights in this fun. movie. I think they're well choreographed. I think they use the spe- the space in the set well. And like, I, like, I don't know. They seem a little bit more realistic. Like, okay. I'm going like to push people, back. Like ex- they're pretty brutal. But the fight with the one brother uh, where he ends up in chains. Oh yeah. No, that's completely that bonkers. Took- Three times, four times longer than it actually would have gone down. Was, that like, felt so mm-hmm. footloose to me. Like I was just like imagining like when the guy was like, it's re- like story he's like having his yeah. angry like dance, but instead of like it working out, like that's what actually happened. But I would say in general, like in the fights, they're like pretty brutal. Oh, generally, I, I agree. Which which they just I went like on too long. <laughs> the one. Uh, I'll give I'll give you the Carl one. Yeah, um, it is a longer one. So you want to talk about Takagi's death? Yeah. So um, I really like this scene. First off, you have. Hans Gruber walking through the group of people and like basically giving Takagi's biography as Holly's like telling Takagi not to like stand up. And basically eventually he's like enough stands up. And I feel like that gives you the idea of like, okay, we're not dealing with like a regular criminal here. We're dealing with someone who has done his research. He's I a think, cool criminal. Okay. <laughs> All I could think was, wow, he can take, he can use Google. And then I remembered Remember, it was the no 1980s. Google. <laughs> so true i wasn't as impressed but i guess at the time (laughs) that's super impressive at the time (laughs) right um yeah no there's there's a lot of stuff that like and like there are things that people would have found out a lot quicker if this was modern day or like had more access to phones um oh um if cell phones existed this entire plot would just be garbage i mean it was like the perfect 80s 90s plot where like they cut the phone lines and they're like oh no we can't talk to anyone yeah but i actually i like a lot of the solutions that they have or that 
John has for that with the radio. I like the use of the radios. I think that's uh-huh. really cool. I was um, really quick with the radios. I found that bizarre that not everybody could hear everybody talking on those radios. Because, like, the criminals are communicating but on radios. But they can. They can, though. And that's why he won't give his real name originally. And like, Right. But I'm seeing the criminals talk about their plans in the tower and, like, what they're doing in... But they do I it, think they're on they a do different it a channel. Little, when they, I think they're on a different channel some of the time. And they also sometimes will do it sort of vaguely. Like the other, the vague, vaguely, yes, I saw it, but the other channel thing, I'm like, well, it's speaking, not just like it's speaking into the incompetence of this damn police chief who did not know what he was doing. Oh, yeah. If they were communicating on those radios, he should have been like, let me monitor these radios. I feel like that's <laughs> the, the, we'll talk about him more later, but like that character is the one character in the film that I am like, I do not buy this character at all. Yeah. Um, but going back to Takagi's death, I love how in, they're in the elevator and, Hans's humming Ode to Joy. Yeah. Because they use that theme so much. They used it well and they transpose it into a minor key. Yeah, with the, which when they're looking so at the great. vault. Yeah. Um, minor key always communicates bad guys. Yeah. It does, but it's really nice it's when really you But though. they didn't just take the melody. They took the theme, like da da But they transpose da, 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 it and then and slow it down yeah. to um, I can't do a minor well, key. Well it's like Hans Hans Zimmer in Inception took the Edith Piaf song and slowed down the intro yeah. horns really slow. And that's what got that really like, duh, duh, yeah. duh. So like when you do this stuff with music to draw those parallels, like it's really fun. It's awesome. I love it. But so anyway, they get to Kagi up there. They're basically asking for like the passcode. Cause they're like, we can get through the locks anyway, but it's easier if you just give us the code. He insists he doesn't have it. And Hans shoots him, which is how we now know that Hans means business. Also, I was not expecting that. That came out of nowhere. Okay, I still remember the first time I saw Die Hard and that... When you were nine years old. Nine years old. I was going to say... Yeah, and I I remember just being like, oh! And my dad was like, yes. There's blood. He's like, that's the worst one. I mean, yeah, that one is pretty graphic. But I feel like that's when they're like, this is an adult movie, kids. Well, that's definitely like where we now know that Hans means business. But I love John McClane's reaction to it later when he's like walking around kind of talking to himself, which I think is hard to pull off. And I think Bruce Willis does it where he's like, why didn't you do anything at like, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you stop him? Because then you'd be dead too, asshole. Like he's trying to like, you can tell he's panicked. He's scared. He's trying to like, think it through he's trying to like justify his own actions to himself like i don't know i really like that and i liked takagi as a character even like i felt we got a good sense of him as a character even though we don't really have him that long yeah he was very principled and you yeah. could tell like him. via that he was sweaty man during that interview wouldn't you be I would sweaty be too. I mean, yeah i liked that he got progressively sweaty though i will say because at first i was like I was like, oh, he looks kind of, he looks a little damp. And then I was like, oh, okay. Oh, he's scared. Yeah. I just, he felt, he felt very composed. But at the same time, like he's defending bonds. Like just, well, I think, well, here's the thing. I think he genuinely didn't I think he won, generally, genuinely didn't have it. Also in that situation, you're dead if you do, you're dead if you don't. So you might as well fuck them over anyway. Um, That's my thing. He ended up not, but oh well. Well, (laughs) I feel feel like it's just what they always say. If if you're getting robbed, just give them everything they want because bonds are easily traceable. Yes, they're very liquid, but at the the same time... It's in the 80s, though. Remember, there weren't computers then. There aren't computers, but there's still individual bond (laughs) numbers. Like, you don't just, like, print out bonds and you're like, it's not like money. Even money has, like, a serial number. So, like, those bonds have numbers. You put a huge, like, 
you know, hey, don't buy these bonds. They might get sold on the black market, but at the same time, that's a lot more difficult for them to do and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. This is me being an accountant, like a fraud person. I was going to say, whipping out these uh, well, it's just, CPA it's just facts. Like, it was so silly that like that's what he chose to like. I mean, I, I feel like it's probably that he just genuinely didn't know. I mean, yeah, I don't think he knew. Yeah. But then it's like, who did know? Well, he was saying the chairman of the company, which would be in Tokyo. Oh, I thought he was yeah, the he was chairman like, of the company. No, I think he's just probably president of like the oh, well, US then, yeah. branch or something. Yeah. Okay, once again, why are you keeping all that highly expensive stuff in there if you're not even in the same country? I have a lot of questions. It, yeah. The, set, the setup has some holes. But, but we just okay. need to accept it. I was going to say, very, I always have had the impression that like the corporation was like maybe doing some shady shit i mean it's the 80s so probably <laughs> what and it's ellis funny. was in charge of deals definitely yes yeah. shady deals all the also, way also i love the whole time i was like man what does this company do what do they do you Business never find out but like but that's, you but never at the same time like that's not really important to the plot no like, but i want to know what holly does yeah i want to know more about holly other than her being there and helpless i think she's I so I wouldn't say that she was a hundred percent helpless. I agree that she wasn't a hundred percent helpless, but there was at least the very end scene with when Hans goes out the window. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, Post talk. She has um, her boots out at that point. <laughs> well, no, it was just more like I don't know. I wanted her to like fight back or something, not just be. But so here, this actually does not bother me in this movie. I would say there are a lot of action movies where it bothers me, where it's like the idea that like the female action hero always just fights the female second in command for the villain, like all that kind of thing. But like here, we have established that John McClane has a skill set that is pertinent to this, and that like Holly does not have that skill set. But I like that she is brave in other ways. Like she's the one who she goes to Hans and she is yeah. like, I we need this thing for the, like we have a pregnant woman here. Give us a couch. Yeah. Give us a couch. Like you need to start taking people to the bathroom. Like she's smart enough to remember to like, like she knows that it's John. Although there are a couple of times where I'm like, you need to stop saying his name at all. Like just oh, don't yeah. say his name. Also don't have wandering eyes toward the photo. You turned down to. <laughs> I really thought at that point, that's when he was going to like pick the photo and be like, oh my God. Well, that's why, that's I, exactly that's why what she emphasizes the miss. Because he, he says Mrs. and she says Gennaro. And she is smart enough to have caught that he said Mrs. and to know that she should say Miss. She's been doing that so long, though. I feel like that's second. Oh, no. Time. I thought that was like a point. Because she's already looked at the photo. She knows that John's around. So I think it's just being like. Well, but then no immediately Hans sees the photo. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't look at he it like, until, he later. Like, he looks, until they bring on the kids around, on the TV. Yes. He turns around oh, to the yeah. photos that are on her thing. She's got the one that has John in it face down. And he kind of looks at them as like. A little bit confused, like what was she looking at, but like doesn't think any more of it. Well, because he gets distracted when by I, something. Yeah, he gets distracted, or it's like I don't know. I would assume she's looking at the photo of her kids. Like, I yeah. Don't know. But it's when, yeah, it's when that stupid reporter has her kids on the TV and she like can't help. But oh, be and like, she slugs him. I was really happy. Oh, about that that's so sad. End. That might be the most satisfying part of that movie is when she slugs that reporter. Yeah, I like. I don't know that reporter. I was torn on because yeah, they brought to light all oh, of this crazy shit. But okay, I won't. Media. I won't get ahead of ourselves because we Takagi is now dead. Yeah, the, I do. The love one Hans's brother is dead. Line where um he's talking about to the people in Alan Rickman's delivery of this. He's like, Mr. Takagi won't be joining us for the rest of his life. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That, that should have been line. the best line of the movie. No. And then, uh, best line of the movie is Yippie Kaye, motherfucker. I know. And it has nothing to do with Christmas, but that's another point. Uh, excuse me, but that is they how celebrated I every Christmas. Christmas. Cowboys celebrated Christmas. <laughs> did they? Did they? I love those. Did they even know it was Christmas? Yes. Did 
I'm just saying Red Dead Redemption doesn't be like, hey, guess what? It's Christmas. <laughs> that is Lola's reference. Because, <laughs> again, all cowboys are now. Do we have do a documentary video game that is in conflict with our documentary <laughs> <Yeah>. action <laughs> With our documentary <laughs> fictional action movie. I don't know. This uh, Red Dead Redemption came out like three weeks ago. And this came out uh, 20, 20 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. What, ha- no. When did it come out? 30, 30 years, years ago. ago. 88. Oh, math. <laughs> so yeah, it's not 2008. <laughs> Listen, Excel is the only reason I can do math. Adding is hard. Um, so Takagi is dead. Bruce's character has killed. Well, they they know that there's somebody out there because they hear him make a noise after Takagi dies. And they don't because he sees it happen. Well, they yeah they send one guy that the guy with the glasses who walks like a robot. I forget his name. He was cute. He walks like a robot. I find him very was unsettling. Was that, that a serious story? No, I thought he... I was like, man, if I was in the 80s, I don't know what it was about those glasses, but I was like, hmm. They were good glasses. I'll and I, I have to say, I'm in, I'm partial to blondes. So, like, I was like, ooh, blonde boys just run around everywhere. I found him very unsettling because the way he, he was moved. very unsettling. <laughs> well... But that's when you get the really cool cat and mouse play there. Yeah. And then now you get the... I have a, uh, a which, machine gun now. My first argument oh, for oh, this oh. being a Christmas movie, there is a Santa in it. It was a he, dead guy. Well, but. no, there's no, a Santa a that he's Santa. a plastic Santa that he steals the hat from to put on the dead guy, and then writes on his sweatshirt, "Now I have a machine gun, ho ho ho." Which, like, you're kind of like, maybe you shouldn't be egging on the terrorist, but if he wasn't egging on the terrorist, then we wouldn't have the great like interplay between him and Hans, and right. like, I like that and hubris is his character flaw. He needed some way to get them to talk about stuff when he was on top of that elevator. That is true. So. I also really like the elevator shaft scenes because it was like super dynamic. How does he know so much about elevators? He is street smart, slow. Oh, I was going to say, he's a cop too. He might have had to like help someone get out of one one time. I did like that he followed my motto, always be looting. Like he killed that guy and immediately was like, like, let's see what's in here. When he like tries on his shoes and he's like, god damn it, they're too small. I just feel like that's like every time I'm ever looting, I'm like, oh, I like this hat. I'm like, yeah. man, I well, like I it, like, throw it away. I like that they address, though, the thing, because like, I feel like a lot of movies, it would be like, no, we're just going to keep him shoeless. We're not going to give her, like, it, he's not going to have tried to like find shoes or anything. And here they, they like show that like, no, he tried on the shoes. They just didn't fit. Well, he only tried on one shoes, but I, I would have liked I was, it more if he I tried to assume, put on shoes every well, I was gonna, That would have been funny, but I would have... I would have assumed that if he tried it once, he would have tried it every time. But, like, it would have been funny if you saw it every single time. But that would have been weird to dedicate 20 minutes of the movie to him putting on shoes. Honestly, honestly, though, I would not be opposed. (laughs) (laughs) Meh. Yeah, that's true. So, there were a couple scenes coming up next where... Oh, I also just want to say one thing about the vault that I like that helps with the pacing of the movie is we've now given a ticking clock not only to our hero, but also to the villains. So, they're both kind of racing against the same clock, which I like. Well, yeah, because he's like, how long can you do this now that we don't have this? And then when it's, he realizes that he doesn't have the detonators, it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Now we have to, like, I feel like that was an him. understatement for how, <laughs> and how mad crucial he was. those detonators get. Those detonators were, like, absolutely needed it. But one thing this movie, I think, did very well was set uh, up suspense. Yes, they build tension extremely nicely. Yes. So the one scene that I'm specifically thinking of, and I've, I've kind of jumped around a little bit because we've like been introduced to the cop Al at this point. We've had some folks from the police department yeah, so like the building. John got the radio. He tried to call 911. Yeah. Those dispatchers should be fired. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I love the line, no fucking shit. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Yeah. Um, basically the terrorists call back and then they're like oh no false alarm because he like pull, or he pulls the fire alarm and like all that stuff and then 
basically he has called enough times that they're like, have somebody do a drive-by. So they send Al, who they... Didn't she hear gunshots in the background? No. They do, because they, they well, rip off their things. I'm not sure if they knew realized it was like gunshots or something. But or just like, some interference. But you see Al come up and he's like having this interaction with the fake security well, we get guard. Well, we get a good fight on the roof. Well, and he has... Oh. Never mind. Which, I'm, well, I'm thinking yeah, of the scene, like, the lead-up to throwing the body out of the window onto Al's car. Oh, gotcha. Like, you see Al interacting with the main desk security guard, who's, like, cool as a cucumber, trying to fend him off, and Al, like, goes a little well, bit back to the But previously elevators. they did send people after John because he called in the 911 thing on the radio, and they're oh, monitoring yeah, the yeah, radios. Yeah. So, like, they sent people up there. There's a fight on the roof. He uses one of the terrorists he killed Well, and this was fight. the other really good line about... My piece of advice, when you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. That was another Yeah, and then he just does it. He's like, Um, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. Um, But you see Al, like, going toward the elevators, and you can see one other uh, thief, like, ready to kill him. And he's like, ah, screw this, and, like, walks out. But now we're sitting there like, oh, my God. Is is John going to actually be able to get a signal to this guy in time? And then you see the body fall on the car, and it was like, okay, awesome. And we get some nice that stunt time, driving. That whole time, I was like, just shoot at the car. Just one. Just, just one shot. He'll realize that, like, something's going on. But, I mean, I guess, like... I don't know. I like the message of just... I mean, I like the dead, the dead body was, like, a way better, like, for cinematic. But in my, like, logical, I was like, I would have shot at him. I would have thrown, like, a desk chair out of the window. I was going to say, done. I think I would have thrown something because I'm not wasting bullets. Thrown something. Um, or someone. Or someone. Um... No, those windows are supposed to be designed so that you, like, can't break them and fall out of these buildings. <laughs> well, he has to, like, beat it with a chair. Multiple times. They show they show multiple times, like, how difficult no, it I'm is just, for like, him to break these windows. trying to think of Lola trying to break a window like that with a chair. If she's scared <laughs> enough, I'm sure she could. Listen, I had a real terror of dying, like, from falling out of things and, like, fires. I would have learned. Plus, I always think about that because I have a lot of anxiety. So I would, I would think about it. Okay. Okay. Always have an exit strategy. Hey, yeah, but the dead body. I feel like he could have thrown it like near his car. You know, nah. like throw it on top nah. of his car. I'm at this point. I have pulled a fire alarm. They have like basically nullified that. I called dispatch. Dispatch was not helpful. Like I am making sure that that motherfucker gets people over here. Well, and then you have the scene where it's like all of the cars doing their dramatic driving into the like entryway and like skidding out and that blocking was, the road. And I'm like, okay. Way too long of a scene, in my personal opinion. I, I like, agree. <laughs> and they were parked so far out. And I loved how, like, in the span of like the cops pulling up was like all the terrorists like getting ready. And then there was like that one scene of the guy being like, Hmm, candy and like grass. I, I love that because I was like, that would have been me. What, the Twinkies? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no crunch bar. bar. Yep. Yeah, yep. and I was like, mm, crunch bar, terrorist choice of candy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that there was probably like a big debate because it was Nestle and Hershey that he was like between. Yeah. And I was like, man, they're probably like, please don't pick my candy bar. Please don't pick my candy bar. <laughs> and crunch bar yeah. lost. But still my favorite candy but bar. But this is where we have that deputy chief of police who is like, like I said, he's the one character in this film that I'm like, I just don't by you as a character at all because he's so incompetent like he's like yeah he's like his there's no logic in anything he says like i don't know he's like constantly just making these like stupid statements that well and he has has a very singular view of what they're dealing with it's like like, oh it's just terrorists here their demands but like the idea that he's like we're sending people in and they're like there are potentially 30 hostages in there and he's like we don't know that i'm like so you wouldn't send people in. 
Also, they never even tried to call them and ask what yeah, their demands were. Yeah, he's like, if they were hostages, we'd have demands by now. And I'm like, would would you? like? Do did you, you ask? ask? Yeah, oh. have you tried to make contact? And did you see how me, happy sir, the captain demands? was when he got the call with the demands? He was like, oh, here we go. It's fitting into my mental model of how yeah. this is supposed to go down. <laughs> Which, of course, is like Hans's whole thing. Like, Fake demands. If, well, at first they're freaking out and they're like, he's called the police and he's like, we knew that this was going to happen eventually. It's just a little ahead of schedule. Like... Calm down. Yeah. We got this. Except you don't. And the reporter was like so pumped when he heard that over the radio. He was like, oh, yes. Story. That whole like semi-comedic relief scene at the news studio. I was like, why? Suck it, Harvey. <laughs> why, why do we have this scene here? <laughs> I do. The way that they use that later though, um, which we'll backtrack and talk about Ellis's death because I actually really want to talk about that. Um, but when you have the psychologist on that news program being like, and then a special bond of trust will form between the like captors and their hostages. And then it's cut to the, all the hostages just staring wide eyed as they drag Ellis's dead body out of a office. Like I love the irony of that. It was so, so well done. So they did use it to effect later on. But yeah. I was just like, th- there was a really, there was a funny scene where you had the anchor look back and then a producer look back, then a cameraman look back, then one person look back like in quick succession. Yeah. It was kind of fun, but. Uh, there's, there's some like comedic know. moments. I mean, they were trying to cut the tension. Yeah. Which totally, totally makes sense there. Um, but yeah, the captain is absolutely the yeah. worst and his people are insubordinate. Cause he's like, pull those people out right now. And he's like, no, they're almost there. Yeah. And I'm like, so no one no respects one would... him. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. and this is when to... he like sent in the uh, he sends in four swap. guys in front of a glass door Just to four. pick a lock, <laughs> and then they send in that armored car, which was... and they had rocket launchers. Yeah. I, I'm glad which, they showed which that they had. John McClane told Al that they had. He was like, "These guys are well financed. They have rocket, like they have all this shit." Did he say specifically rockets? He does. Okay. Also, I mean, the 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 SWAT car didn't even make it to the door. No, it gets stuck on those damn stairs. So and I, was I feel like. like like I don't and and they spent so so long having that SWAT vehicle drive towards the car. I was like, just get there already. I was like, doesn't this thing have like any like you'd imagine that it's like pretty quick, like right? But no, not necessarily. I don't know. They parked so far back for him to then just like because you think they're parked far back because they have rockets, and then he's just completely dismissive I just of I, the rocket. Yeah, I just love that they get stuck on the stairs, and you're just like, well, why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> they didn't even need rockets. They would have just sat there and been like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. Like trying to like back up. And like, just kidding. But yeah, out. but anyway, because they fire on the car and then they fire on it a second time, which is, again, this is why the radios are so good because McLean can hear Hans's orders to fire again. And he's being like, don't do it. Like, just let them pull back. You made your point. And he yeah. like, then hears him order it again. And that's when John gets really mad, sticks like a bunch of those detonators in that one C4 straps it too. Like, it's just it down one. Down. Come on. <laughs> I, but like, I think the, I love that bit. Cause he's so, you can tell like, he's, he's just emotional. so upset. And then he just goes, fuck it. And just jams them all in. <laughs> and I was like, that would be me. So now is when we, well, there was one. Okay. So a couple times throughout this movie, we got some really kick-ass lens flares, <laughs> which were very reminiscent of like the concept of Bayhem recently so what? i was bayhem like michael bay's distinct filmmaking style oh my god i never heard it called bayhem. it's called bayhem yeah oh, okay. can you write me out a definition of that later so i can tweet i that will out? i'm gonna send you a youtube video michael oh, bay go boom, boom. <laughs> but no it was interesting seeing them use this stuff that i 
am pretty sure has now been repurposed in different places, like, later on in action films. Yeah, I think Linslers in general were, like, pretty popular in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it? Was it Close Encounters of the... Um, third Kind. Third Kind that... Yeah, I think that was the late 70s, maybe. Or maybe, like, 81. Was it that? I'm, I'm not sure if that's the right movie. I'm thinking about the very ending scene where the aliens are... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yay! I had a movie reference. <laughs> I'm very impressed by that. I've never seen um, it. I'm not entirely sure of the year. I think it was late seventies or maybe like eighty one ish. Um, but yeah, that I thought that was kind of cool to see these little snippets of things that we're going to use yeah. later on. Well, and again, like if you've watched a lot of action movies, like this is a very recognizable template. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so now is when we actually get Ellis's negotiation. Okay, so death we do scene. not see a lot of Silly Ellis, ladies. but this actor, I wrote down his name because uh, Hart Bachner. I think he does a fantastic job because Ellis is so fucking sleazy. He is. He has a good looking face though. His laugh is terrible too. Like <laughs> everything about this character is so terrible, and I think it's I think it's played so well. And like. Yeah, he does the coke bump and then is like, I'm going to talk us out of this. And you're like, oh, no. (laughs) But I was really worried that he was going to double cross uh, Holly. Holly. Well, and John is too. And I I love this scene because you we all know what's going to happen to Ellis. Ellis clearly thinks he's got it under control. Hans is like... Say amused. you don't know me. Say you don't. But know like, me. yeah, because I I think Bruce Willis's performance in this scene. This is I think my favorite scene as far as just like his general performance goes. Because at first when Hans is like, I have a very like special friend of yours here to talk. You can tell he thinks it's Holly, and he's like, Fuck, they found out. Then when well, he hear, and hears we didn't Ellis, know that it wasn't Holly either. No, I think no, this he. I guess we have... knew we knew Ellis was there, but we did not know if Ellis had sold her out. Right. Yeah. Um, but then his confusion and then relief when it's Ellis, but then you can see him trying to like think through being like, okay, well, like what's happening, what's going on. And then he's like, Ellis, what have you told them? And Ellis is like, oh, we've been friends for years. I told them you're here for me and like, you're fucking it up. So like give this guy his detonators. And (laughs) then he was like eighties investment. Yeah. Well, and then I, there's a shot actually, like there's some camera work. I really love. I wrote frat boy. (laughs) Yeah. Classic frat boy. Um, and then, but he's, he's like, John, give them the detonators or they're going to kill me. And then he like winks at Hans, like he's playing it up. But then you see the camera swivel behind Ellis to Hans holding a gun. And then you can just hear Ellis being like, not a method actor. Hans put the gun down and like, John knows what's going to happen. And he's like, tell them you don't know me. Tell them you don't know me. Gunshot and screams. I'm amazed that we saw most of Takaki's death, but not any of Ellis's. We should ostensibly hate Ellis. Well, okay, but here's the thing. Because of Bruce Willis's performance, I, like, as much as I hated Ellis, I still cared that he died. I didn't. I mean, (laughs) rather him than anybody else in that room. But, like, I, like, I don't know. I felt bad because Bruce Willis felt bad in that scene. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I thought it was just so well, I thought it was so well done. And I liked the way it cut between, like, the different mm-hmm. um, parties on the radio. I thought that was effective. But again. I liked it that they didn't show his death because the sound was, like, a little more haunting to me. Yeah. And I feel like they paid so much money, $5 million for Bruce Willis that, like, they paid five million dollars. Yeah, that was yeah, actually was unheard of, for, especially for like an un, from like an unknown action hero. Yeah, yeah. So, they were oh. so they were they were getting close to production. They needed somebody in their room. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna milk that five million dollars for all he's worth because they well, didn't pay as I much think, for Ellis. Well, too, with the sound, we're getting it from John's perspective, which is 
the perspective we really care about. Yeah. And then we get Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson. No relation. <laughs> oh my god. Why didn't I'm... you come up with that? Like, it's just give him a different name. I love that. I love that though, actually. And it's. I think, I think it's supposed to be a little bit campy, which this movie again, is not campy at well, all. Well, it's, it's but... <laughs> the little bits of like chuckle relief. Like they're not full comedic moments most of the time, but they're just like a little bit of a, a little chuckle, break the tension. Yeah. And I love that, that I'm deputy chief, da, 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 and I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. And there was more lens flare in that scene. I'm just saying. Man, I did not notice any of this lens flare you keep talking about. Well, you're going to have to watch it again because it's mean, spectacular. Once again, at this point, I was probably like one and a half mold wines deep. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote down this things like awesome. classic frat boy and boobs. So I mean, I wrote that down too because of the poster and also because of Ellis's fling in his office. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things have happened on that desk. It's seen things. Has it? It doesn't have eyes. It's it's felt, felt things. things. <laughs> <laughs> Not things it wants to feel. Poor desk. Um, justice for desk. <laughs> justice for desk. <laughs> okay, so I am having a hard time remembering exactly how we get to the scene between Hans and John. So um, there's something. Hans is going to go check on the explosives. He needs Carl. I think he tells Carl to go do something else. Like. Yeah. So at he's this like point, we're several we're around. several terrorists down. So Hans yep. has to do a little bit of his own dirty work. I keep saying terrorists, but like... I like to call them goons. I've been using that. Oh, that's a good one. it's um, a fun word. But I'm trying to remember when exactly we get full confirmation that like Hans is actually just a thief. But I think we might have already gotten it. Anyway. I think Holly says that she's like, you're just a common thief. She says thief. it at the end and I love his response with, I'm an exceptional thief. And I'm now, and now that I've upgraded to kidnapping, you should be more respectful. Yeah, I like, I like that in uh, um, banter. But Hans is like poking around in these like air handling units where we've been seeing him set up some like yeah. explosive cords and things. Well, when you see him put his gun down, and yep. then he jumps down and walks. And when he jumps down, we just see Bruce Willis's feet. Yep. But we get this like, okay, this Alan scene. Rickman, good job of flipping between characters like this because he immediately goes into the, I I am a hostage here. I don't know what like I'm I doing. I somehow got out and yeah. all this stuff. And I I like to that he like gives the name and we're like, is John going to catch the name? Because there's a directory yep. there and there is like a William Clay. And so John gives him the gun and we're all like, no, well, because previously... Alan Rickman had tried to get him to go back towards where he yep. had hidden his gun. And we have this beautiful shot of Alan Rickman's gun in the foreground, Alan Rickman in the middle ground, Bruce Willis in the background. He's like, no, 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 don't go that way. Like come this way. Ends up giving him the gun after he says like what his fake name is. And we're like, when's the shoe going to drop? Um, okay. so, so we think that he's about to get shot in the back and Hans gives the orders in German over the walkie talkie goes to shoot him and oops, no bullets. Good job, Bruce. I love, but I do love where he just goes, you think I'm a fucking idiot? And then you hear the elevator ding and Hans just goes, you were saying. (laughs) I did like that this movie had a lot of times where like he, the entire movie played on him having bullets and wasn't just like unlimited bullets for all. Cause I felt like that's like when he, the gun didn't have bullets is when they really started to like point out that ammunition was running low and then yeah it's like at the end where he's like i have two bullets to shoot two people yeah yeah better not miss <laughs> yeah um they they do a really nice job with stakes in this movie yep. and like keeping them high but not re- well i was about to say not ridiculous 
not I mean, the whole exceptionally movie is a ridiculous. Absurd, but <laughs> I'll say I'll say not exceptionally ridiculous. There's that uh, classic '80s level, just base level of ridiculousness. Yeah. But, but it wasn't like this where you're like, there's. it's not Indiana Jones where you're like, oh man, there's no way he's ever going to survive this. Like at least, you know, the stakes are high, but you're like, it's, at least you can overcome it. Like there's yeah. like a shot well, at it. Well, and I like that like, he progressively gets more and more beat up. Like there are consequences from every fight he has. Yep. Which I think is really good. And again, keeps us super invested because like you are worried about him. Like, I mean, you think he's, you know, probably going to survive because he's the hero of our movie, but, like, maybe not. Like, there's room <laughs> for doubt. I was I wouldn't be surprised if he had died because I was like, that would have been his ultimate, like... Yeah, like, on a blaze of glory kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just him being, like, a good cop. Like, he would have sacrificed his life for the citizens. Yeah. But I did like the consistency, like, of him getting beat up of, like... It wasn't like, oh, his feet are bleeding. Now they're not. Oh, his feet are bleeding. Now they're not. Like, they were always bleeding. And yeah, like, they like, always made a They were bleeding, and he still had a limp. And at the end, like, I mean, this is jumping ahead, but I love when he just comes in. He's like, Hans, and he's just so over everything at that point. Yep. He's bloodied. He's beaten. Yeah. He's limping. His tank top is now, like, black. But he doesn't even have crap. a tank top anymore because he had to use it to wrap his feet. Oh, yeah, that's like, right. It's. Yeah, and, like, the tank top progressively just getting dirtier. Like, I... More stretched out. Yeah, like, I like that you... There are consequences for everything that happens. Yeah. So, this is when, after the you were saying line that Maggie mentioned, we get the glass scene where Hans has the brilliant idea to shoot Shoot all the glass. And so, poor Bruce Willis is, like, crab walking... Not crab walking, like, combat... Crawling well, I like into the, the bathroom. The shot. Well, there's the shot where he's like hunkered down, and you see him see the exit. Like camera goes to the exit sign. Camera goes to the glass on the floor. Camera goes to his bare feet, and then he just goes fuck. And then you like know that he ran across it. Well, but you didn't know that he ran across it because there was a little suspense with them coming up on that, where it was like, oh, are they going to find him behind this place? Yeah. Was he trapped, or did he like grin and bear it? <laughs> and yeah. he grinned and bared it. <laughs> yeah, and then basically they can't find him. But yeah, you have that. This is the scene where I literally have to look away every time as him, like, the bathroom door flies open and it's him, like, army crawling into the bathroom with just, like, a line of blood from his bloody cut up feet. I suppose it's not when he then pulls the glass out of his feet. That does not bother me as much because there's important character stuff going on in that scene, so I can stomach (laughs) it. Where he's talking with Al. Yeah, which, again, I like that scene where you we learn a little bit more about Al's backstory. We learn that he accidentally shot a kid. And then... Just want to point out, he then put himself on desk duty, basically. I was like, they they didn't just take him off the street. Like, they were going to let um, him go on. He's like, yeah, so then I put him for transfer desk duty. And I was like, they didn't just take you off? Have you, I mean, have you seen the news? Yes, about- yes. Okay. <laughs> but that also gives him a chance for redemption. It does, it does. Which, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um. I would say we like Al. So. We do like Al quite a bit. But yeah, we have some, some nice character moments with them talking and just, I don't know. Just being, fine. just being cute. Yeah, being cute. Is yeah. that when John gives the, I think that's when he. He tells him to tell his wife That he's sorry. Stuff. And I love, I actually really like that phrase too where he's like, she's heard me say I love you a hundred times. She's never heard me say I'm sorry. And because, like, his whole thing, I think his big character flaw has been his hubris. And, like, we've seen it get him in trouble sometimes with the terrorists. And then he's finally, like, in a position where he can set that aside and be like, I, like, I need to say I'm sorry. 
Well, then the next scene is him, uh, the reporter being a total a hole and interviewing his children. Yeah, that's and like threatening threatening their news. housekeeper. Yeah, with immigration rotation. services. Yeah. Ugh. And he, I mean, I whatever the reporter ended up sucking at first. I was like, cool reporter, do your own story. But then when he was like, I'm going to deport you, Paulina, and I was like, then how do you know Paulina is not a citizen? Well, yeah, I think I think he like threatens her with it, and then that's why she lets him in because she's like. I think the implication there is that she's not, but like, because if she was a citizen, then I think she'd be like, suck it. Oh, well, yeah, but yeah, then but he yeah. interviews the children. Which like, is ugh. like, it's not bad. Like, I feel, I feel like I was like, oh yeah, this reporter is kind of an asshole, but I didn't have like a huge issue with him until that moment. Cause you're kind of like, oh yeah, you like, you, you know, the press does have to report on what's going on and stuff. But then like when you're interviewing people's children and like putting people in danger, because obviously he has no idea what the hostage situation's like right now. Right. Yeah. And right. I don't, uh, so I guess I didn't really watch this part really well, but how, what part of the child's interview playing on TV told Hans that they have the news on there? It was so, Mrs. McLean's reaction. Mrs. Yes. McLean. Okay. So I missed that line because I was like, wait, what? The kid tipped them off. I was so confused. Yeah. He walks out into the office, sees her reaction, looking at the TV, goes back in and flips up that picture that is the family picture. And now he's like, Mrs. McLean. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the movie really kicks it up. But like that moment of like We're everyone's in, like, realization. now because he's yeah. already given his like fake terrorist demands, just like listing off terrorist yep. groups and being like, we want them released. You have the power company about to cut the power to the building. Yeah. Which, which was a is fun what argument. He wants. <laughs> and I like when they cut the power, then you have the, the last lock on the vault open, the swell of Ode to Joy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They got their Christmas miracle. That vault was super impressive too. Like the stacks of bonds and all of these. I would have been like, forget the bonds, the artwork. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was going to say... That piece of art's probably like, worth more than the bonds. Okay, in the 80s, we're talking about $640 million uh, in bonds. That's like I'd close to, if not more than a billion dollars in the I'm just kidding. I'm it's just, I, I don't know how I do it. It's so At much At least money. have half of your bonds in a bank. I just have so many problems with the fact that they keep all their bonds, and it felt like nobody in the office other than... Takami... Takami. Takaki knew it, and I was like, man, that's kind of a... I feel like I should at least know that there's very expensive assets in this building because I don't know. I'm never going to get over the vault having that much, like that many assets. Part of the reason I think that company is probably involved in some really shady shit. Because they got to keep it in their own vault in an unknown, you know, that's true. And maybe that's how like the, um, the thieves, Find out that I mean, there is maybe money. That's, that's probably like why that company is targeted and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Because they know that like they haven't disclosed those assets. So like when those assets are stolen, they can't really be like, oh, by the way, we have all these, all these things that like we don't really have illegally. So then maybe that's how they like figured out that they yeah. could just run away with the that money. That should be Die Hard 2 is like the accountant investigation <laughs> of the original movie. The accountant is a great action movie too with speaking of accounting and action movies. <laughs> one of our friends is an extra in it. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so we have that really extended fight scene between John and last the very last goon, well second to last. Carl, yeah. Carl. Carl. Which, Carl, who is like, his, oh my his God. hate keeps him alive. I don't his know. His hair gets more flowy really with does. hate. Like, because there's some great to jump way movie. far ahead for a minute. Oh yeah! Like he wakes up out of his body bag and is about to shoot them. I don't think he's in a body bag. I think no, he's, he's just, just under laying. the rubble. Yeah, 
I don't he's know like under rubble after he was like hanging from a chain. Yeah, there is no reason for Carl to still be but, alive, but I'm but here for it because get we get Al's our Al redemption. redemption. Al, he, shoots he, hasn't, him. he hasn't shot his gun since the that incident. He shoots Carl. And then Argyle, who's been in the parking deck okay. this whole freaking time. Argyle, I've been perpetually worried that he is going to like drive drunk somewhere because he's like in the back of this limo partying it up with this giant Well, and early bear. on you have John being like, Argyle, tell me you heard the shots. Tell me you heard the shots. And Argyle's just got the radio cranked. Okay. He's like tagging to one of his girls. He's like, girl, I'm going to come over and see you tonight. My boss thinks I'm here. And I'm like, oh, I love it whenever like this movie had multiple times where it was like a man getting distracted by like sex in some yeah. way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, Argyle, like. You're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you know, kind of sort of helps take out one of the terror. I think Theo, who's like leaving the with the bonds. Yeah. yeah. And then he comes well, bursting out of that parking deck and Al's like ready to shoot again. And John's like, no, 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 no. And I, I just, sorry, I'll so let you say No, I was going to say, I think that that wasn't him leaving with the bonds. I think he was taking an ambulance looking vehicle to be the escape vehicle for everybody. Yeah. That was, oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah with the bonds. I assumed he was loading bonds in there too. That was oh. that was their escape plan. Was that yeah. they were gonna like when everyone was distracted with the bomb up top, yeah, they that they were gonna come out in the emergency vehicle, yeah. and everyone would be like, "Oh, it's just an emergency yeah. vehicle, no big deal." Uh, I, yeah. I was glad Argyle served a purpose. Yeah, <laughs> um, and Ar- Argyle, I would say, is kind of our main like singular comic relief through a lot of the movie. Yes, um, but I I do love the moment where John and Al get to meet each other face to face for the first time. And they just know. But because, like, obviously, like, they've, like, Al has been John's only lifeline during all of this. Like, they've had some, like, deep discussions and all this stuff. And so, like, the moment where they get to, like, actually meet each other in person and, like, they hug and everything, I think is so sweet. And then, like, John introduces him to Holly and, like, she, he says, and I like that he introduces her as Holly Gennaro, kind of respecting what she's been doing. But then she says Holly McLean to kind of, like, signify that they've made up and all that stuff. They... Bruce is so nasty, though. I'm like, oh, you're like doing a lot of it hugging doesn't and last through the sequels. For... They actually kind of let their relationship turmoil like go through the sequels, which I think is really cool and interesting. Oh. Yeah. So like in the second one, they're back together. I don't remember if they're back together in the third one. In the fourth one, which came like much later, they're divorced. I like that. That's something that they like let carry through the series and weren't just like we're gonna reset this every single time. Yeah. I loved the meeting. It felt very like when uh. Poe and the other guy met in Star Wars, and he's like, "I like that guy." And then they meet, and they're like, "Oh my god, my buddy! Yeah, what's up?" And they yeah, hug, and you're like, like, "I that. love some good bro hugs." I love, I love a good bromance. <laughs> so in the scene too, I I thought it was funny that like relationships and different relationships in this movie. Like you yeah. got the Al John bromance, you got the Holly John romance, you got the antagonistic relationship between Hans and John. You've also got like the weird tension within the terrorist group between Carl, who won't listen to Hans, and like, yeah, yeah, it was good. The best uh, symbolism I loved in the entire movie was when Hans is hanging off by her Rolex. Yeah, the Rolex that Ellis makes such a big deal about, yep. and so they unclip it. Yeah, D- shedding off her off. old life. I was like, oh wow, the Rolex. Like, what a. Because when they showed it, I was like, oh, they're just showing how, like, successful yeah. the company is. But then I like that, like, something they, they small like They do a really nice job of, like, anything, for the for the most part, anything that's, like, kind of introduced in, like, a throwaway line or any small detail. They use it. They use it. Like, even, I think Takagi has a throwaway line early on about, like, John says something about, like, nice building. He's like, yeah, if we can ever get it finished. 
which then of course you have the unfinished uh, floors upstairs where a lot yep. of the action takes place. Yeah. So I like that. I Everything think it's had a, a purpose. Yeah, yeah. It's a very efficient script. Like nothing, nothing seems like by accident. Well, yeah. none of the dialogue was by accident. Yeah. I will say some, <laughs> some fight scenes in like the, you know, 40 seconds of the SWAT vehicle driving towards the building. Like there were definitely things they could have cut. Well, and that was my, I think one of my main complaints. This movie came in at like two hours, 12 minutes on the I have one no that I problem have. with it. I actually think it's... Like, I, I wanted 20 case. fewer minutes. I think it is... 20 fewer. Okay. I agree. Like, I not think, a lot. I think that's... I feel, but, I feel like with that 20 minutes, though, you're taking little bits from multiple places. It's not exactly. like there's any large no. chunk you could cut. Um, I minute think here, in, minute there. Yeah. I think in general, it is paced so well, and there is a nice mixture of, like, character moments and action moments, and there's no... 30 minute CGI action sequence that makes me be like, why the fuck do I care? Like I care the entire time. Well, and there's no, I feel like a lot of like action movies now have their like middle super climax that you're like, Oh my God, this is the end. And then it's, it's yeah, over. It's and the then you're like, Oh, it's not over. And but then they're like, wait, the the u- they're like, we saved the world, but now the universe is in danger. And we're just like, we just want John McLean out this fucking building. Like, yeah. come on, man. Oh. This structurally I'm gonna <laughs> structurally insane building. Yeah. So you know there was recently a movie out with the I believe it was The Rock. Oh, about skyscraper. that high, skyscraper. That's it. I'm like very curious to know. That dude, that, that director totally was like, uh, Die Hard is one of my main influences. Well, in this life. actually, like during the 80s, these quote disaster movies were very popular. So you have like Airport, which was later, of course, spoofed as Airplane. Oh my god, Airplane is so I good. love that movie so much. Um <laughs> But like you in kind of the con like Poseidon adventure and the concept was that you have a group of people kind of trapped in this one location and they're basically kind of like fighting against some sort of clock to try and get out. And, you know, maybe that clock is terrorists trying to break into a vault. Maybe that clock is like the boat is sinking. Like, but that's maybe very saw. That's a very, <laughs> eh, that's, that's later, but okay. it's. And that's not really a disaster movie. It's not, but it's the, the no, but people like, trapped. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like the, yeah. it was a very common like subgenre at the time period. Why, why is that? Was there something with the eighties where like a lot of disasters were happening or? Um, I think like tail end of the seventies and early eighties, like again, you had a lot of terrorist attacks and just like. Well, there was like all the hostage situations. And... Yeah. And so like when you have stuff like that going on, like. Our, our societal anxieties life. are reflected in our, like... Pop culture. Yeah. In pop culture, so... That poor building, and, like, they had to just take the hit on that. They were like, I don't know. <laughs> That's <laughs> why they have insurance. Well, I don't know. Do they have insurance? Because they didn't... They obviously didn't disclose all of those assets that were just... Hey, I don't think it's so obvious they didn't disclose it. I just... I'm just saying... But... I don't know, but I just... I love how... Lola has been so preoccupied with the financial situation <laughs> of this movie. Really Ian and I are like, he has a machine gun now, and like he's walking over glass. And Lola's, Lola's like, like, did he disclose his assets? Practices are open to fraud. I will say it was the eighties, so like there were there was definitely accounting policies. <laughs> I mean, it's not a lot of stuff wasn't illegal yet. <laughs> honestly, it's great. Um, this is take a pause on the podcast. This was like. Everything that you read as far as, like, Sarbanes-Oxley, which was, like, because of Enron, which at this point, like, Enron was going on probably. Like, you're like, oh, that wasn't a law? Like, so, (laughs) the, the, I mean, the entire business is just ridiculous because you're like, oh, yeah, you don't disclose this, but you have all this money. Oh, but here's this waterfall. 
was a uh, was it Holly's job after the building exploded to go back in and get all of the illegal things that they had in that <laughs> vault that was, had not exploded? But she like, oh, excuse me, I need to go Just get that priceless money. Yes, you can. I'll talk to the EMTs later. Um, one moment, please. <laughs> if she had to have known about the vault, she was second in command. I would assume. I don't know if what she was she? second. I think I feel like she was third. Oh yeah, I feel Alice. like I feel like she was. She would have been like technically third in the hierarchy, but in actuality and practice, she would have been treated like second. Like I'm sure if I'm Takagi, I'm depending on her a hell of a lot more than I'm depending on Ellis. She was like, an like Ellis goes and parties with the people we're doing deals with to get them to sign the deal. Like Holly manages the actual work. She's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Just, but at this point, Cl- she was... Classic. The woman has to do the housekeeping. She probably doesn't get paid as much. She doesn't get a private She was bathroom. only a director. I don't know how. Did that bathroom have a shower in it? Presumably. I don't know. I thought it had a bath. Like, I think she was sitting on the edge of the bath. Yeah, I, I thought, thought she was so. sitting on the edge of the sink. So, I feel like the last thing we kind of at least need to address is... I know that... This is very much a Christmas movie for me and my family, obviously, but a lot of people would say, you know, there's a bit of a debate over is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? I know Lola says it's not, so we'll let her say her bit and then I'll give my reasons. What's Ian's thoughts? My thoughts are going to be a mealy-mouthed when you watch a movie, it is a movie for that time of year because you chose to watch it at that time of year. I mean, I don't think that that's a cop-out because, like, again, like, I say, like, my family watches this every Christmas. Like, they're, you know, people have different traditions. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that's actually not but a cop out. With this particular movie, I don't think it would. I don't think it would necessarily take away to watch it not during Christmas. But I would say, like, the fact that the Christmas timeline aligns with the Christmas season might add a little bit. But like, watch it during Christmas if you want. Call it a Christmas movie if you want. Like, you do you. How we want to consume <laughs> like film. I don't care. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it in the traditional like. Oh man, it's Christmas. Gotta watch Die Hard. Other than Maggie, I guess. I mean, I agree, but <laughs> my family is a little weird. Like I like when Christmas comes, Rankin Bass movies, those claymation movies are like I have to watch. When well, you wouldn't watch those another time of year. Yeah, exactly. Fair. And I feel like Die Hard. You could take this movie and take away the Santa Claus, take away the Christmas hat. He could just say like, I have a machine gun now. Uh, happy 4th of July and like it would still be the same thing whereas like I feel like other movies that are Christmas movies if you take Christmas out of the movie the movie doesn't stand anymore well my one argument to to that would be like you could take all those things out but they are in there yeah so like and I I think that's a fair argument too granted I am also the person who will watch White Christmas in the middle of May just because they feel like it but like my argument for why it is a Christmas movie is one it takes place during Christmas. Part of the reason all Christmas of those... Christmas Eve. But, you know, Christmas. The Christmas part season. Of, part <laughs> yeah. of the reason that everyone is in that location and, like, they are in the office building late and no one else is there is because of a Christmas party. It is about family. There is a Santa Claus in it. And the phrase, ho, ho, ho. And Hans gets his Christmas miracle. And this movie is a gift to us all. <laughs> well, if we're going debate style... <laughs> One. Okay, you have 30 seconds to reply. And no, it's, it's fun. But yeah, so anyway, that is, I guess, the end of our first Christmas special episode. Um, if you want to find us on social media, we are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, review, especially rate and review. Like, that really helps us out. Anything else? Any last... 
Christmassy yeah, thoughts? Any last Die Hardy thoughts? Any last Christmas Die Hardy thoughts? Like, I don't know. There was no turkey in this movie, and I feel like that would have been a really nice Christmas. Oh, no, don't even start talking about turkey. Turkey is not a thing <laughs> Next Christmas. time on the podcast. Whoa. Christmas ham. Christmas ham. That's all I'm saying. Again, you're getting into family, <laughs> bashing other people's family <laughs> traditions. Or prime rib. Anyway. So we better end this before this hits Our special guest, Lola, on here. Much Thank like Christmas, lots of arguing at a table. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's and tune in next time for... Uh, we will be doing It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. And that actually, we are not going to wait the full two weeks to release that because that would be Christmas weekend and people are busy with family stuff. We're busy with family stuff. So that is actually going to come out a week from today um, when we will be doing It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and with that, I guess we're done. And uh, yippee ki motherfuckers. <laughs>